all of life is like a gigantic improv scene, right? You never know what the person next to you is going to say next. All you can do is approach it with a positive attitude and do your best to be a supportive person in their sphere. Overall, I just feel like it's made me a more competent communicator. And I think there are very few people in this world that would not benefit from taking at least one improv class. <laughs> That's Rose, actor, improviser, and instructor at the Hideout Theater communications professional and beacon of positivity. Rose joined us to talk about her full happy life, telenovelas, and nurturing participation in everyone she meets. I'm Amber, and here's Angelica with our weekly chat. Hi, Rose. Hi, Angelica. Hi, Amber. Hey. Thanks for joining us on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. Um, we met recently at Amber and Genevieve's Ghost Workshop, mm -hmm. um, and Amber said that she was courting you to get you on the podcast, so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> um, and the way I guess you're in the circle of friends is through Aaron, Genevieve's husband. Mm -hmm. um, Y'all do improv together. Yes. We just wrapped a show called La Vida de los Muertos, which translates to The Life of the Dead. And it is a show featuring an all Latinx cast at the Hideout Theater, which is a primarily improvisational theater. Amazing costumes and face makeup. We painted ourselves like... Um, Full sugar skulls yeah, yeah. every show. Yeah. Every single show, which was really meditative. I enjoyed doing that. We had to get to the theater two hours before the show each time to do that and at first I thought it was going to be arduous but mm -hmm. I ended up really loving that time to relax oh nice and did you do your own makeup yes oh, cool. we learned how to do it ourselves oh that's so awesome. I feel that I've kind of acquired a new life skill yeah. in that way <laughs> totally well we are going to get into the improv and theater background all that but we're going to start out with our weekly inspiration um mine was doing it's my park day yesterday so I I'm on the green committee on my kid's school, and um, theoretically that means I'm supposed to be putting a certain amount of time into like gardening and like all of their landscape help. And once I got there and like saw the other parents mm -hmm. and saw the kids and like we we're doing work together, like I really felt like I had that energy again. And it's just so easy to kind of like convince yourself you don't have the energy to do things, especially if you're feeling full, you've, you've already like put your energy towards your professional life or your creative life. And like, here's another aspect that it's easy to slip out of the responsibility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I was just really, I don't know, proud of myself for like, getting my hands dirty and like connecting with these other people who were really pumped to be there too. It felt really grounding. Mm -hmm. Um, what about y'all? What are your inspirations? Um, well, I, I have a recurring dream and I've had it for years that I have somehow forgotten that I have ownership of a property. It's like an efficiency or an apartment. And I suddenly remember that I have ownership of this place and I have a number of hours to get out of it. And when I find the keys and I go in there, everything is covered in tarps and covered in dust and it's dark and it's so creepy. And there is no possible way that I could ever get everything out of there and clean it in time. And it's such a stressful dream. And sometimes it's like, I can't even find the place. It's like someone has told me that, that I have a property under my name, but they've hidden the key somewhere and I can't remember where to find the landlord or even what the exact address is. And it's just this haunting thing in my mind. And so yesterday 
when I was helping my friend move, I just thought, I'm really good at this. Like, I'm an efficient mover. Being organized makes me feel um, in control. This is something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, practically. And um, I just felt like that was the first time I really made the connection between something that had been haunting me in my head and oh, how uh-huh. I could work through it physically. Oh, interesting. I wonder if you're going to keep having those dreams or if you've kind of like nipped it in the bud or if you do have it, you're going to have a different reaction in the dream where you can kind of, what's that called when you're actively dreaming? Lucid dream. Lucid dream. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can like reconstruct what the dream's path is. Mm-hmm. I did that when... Um, I started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had these dreams. Every week, a little yeah, Buffy. Yeah, a little bit of Buffy. This is your weekly Buffy inspiration. Um, I used to have dreams of being chased, that I couldn't like get my key in the door and like open it fast enough. And nothing happened in the dreams. It, it was just the fear of, like, oh, they're about to get me. And then I started watching Buffy. And instead of running, or like I would start to run, and then I would stop mm-hmm. and then turn around and like stake them. And I was like, oh, that was easy. Mm-hmm. They just like turned to dust. No big deal. Like, yeah. what was I so afraid of mm-hmm. that whole time? But I don't know. Maybe I started intentionally doing that in like as I was waking up and kind of remember that I have a tool at my disposal to change the fear um, or resolve the fear or what. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested to know if you can resolve this yeah. haunting responsibility you have. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that something I've been really focused on that's bringing me a lot of joy is giving people compliments, Mm -hmm. just something like to keep in my mind so that I'm not just focused on whatever my narrative is. And like, I'm, it's making me a lot more perceptive of whatever conversation I'm in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's, it's just been like a nice little labor of love. Mm -hmm. Felt real good. Yeah. That's interesting to like consciously get out of your head. Right. Because when we're engaging with people, we're thinking about how we're presenting ourselves, what we're saying, if we're stumbling over our words or, you know, if we're, I don't know, in this exact instance, you know, if we're sounding smart enough or interesting enough. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, to like get out of that perception of looking inward and looking outward and like, how can I make this person feel more comfortable? How can I make this person be the best version of themselves by giving them that little compliment? Here, here, because you, you got the power. So. Yeah. yeah. Something that makes me think of is um, I read recently that when someone comes into your sphere of being, when they come into a room with you or when they approach your line of sight, you should let them know that you appreciate their presence, right? It seems very basic, but eye contact is very helpful. Yes. A welcome is helpful. Like, and I think it's something, especially in group settings, maybe, um, that people forget to do on a, an intimate level that can be really, um, ingratiating. You have a background in theater, I assume. I do. Yes. Um, I grew up doing musicals. Um, I studied, with a company here in Austin that is still around called Dee Dee Clark's Kids Acting. Oh. Used to be on Burnett Road right next to the Frisco, which Sign recently closed. Yeah. Um, and then Austin Musical Theater was another company that I performed with. And I did all the theater summer camps at the Paramount. I grew up doing uh, Les Mis, mm-hmm. The Wiz. I played Eveline. That was like my first big part as a young kid. It was just joy for me. I 
I was the little kid that was flipping through the phone book and looking through the Austin Chronicle at the audition notices and circling things and calling the phone numbers and telling my mom to drive me here at this time. I was very serious about it. You knew early on Mm -hmm. that that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. That's amazing. My parents were really supportive. And did you, I assume you got a degree in... in, uh... My degree uh, was not in theater, no. Yeah, so... um, I did a lot of theater through middle school, and mm-hmm. then in high school, um, I lost my way a little bit. It was not the cool thing to do. I f- was feeling a lot of peer pressure. My friend group kind of fractured, and I stopped doing it. I stopped doing it until um, until my last year of college. Okay. So it was a, a break. I mean, it was a good probably like eight years, and in that period of time I really did become a more boring (laughs) uh, less confident person and arguably a lot less fun I just felt I I felt more and more like I didn't know myself and so my last year in college um, I was in a play called um, Requiem por Yarini which uh, translates to Yarini's Requiem Um, Alejandro Yarini was the most famous um, pimp in Cuban history uh, he lived um, in the late 1800s, and uh, it kind of chronicled his life and the drug wars that were going on at the time and the women that lived in his brothel and what his relationship to them was. Um, it involved a lot of santeria and the uh, kind of local religious norms at the time and kind of spiritual um, deviations that were happening there. But um, that was a bilingual play, and I'm bilingual in Spanish, so... When I did that, my last semester of my senior year, that was the first time in a long time that I had been back on stage, and I felt that that was that was what I was missing. I work for um, an educational agency on an initiative that helps prepare middle schoolers and high schoolers for what happens after high school. Uh Um, Specifically, right? (laughs) Lots and lots of it. Um, so specifically in the state of Texas, we develop educational materials, not just for students and their families, but for teachers and academic advisors, um, that makes the very complex process of college and career planning a little more digestible. Uh There are so many forms and deadlines, and especially for first generation college students and their families, um, or for neurodivergent kids, or even kids that maybe higher education isn't the best choice for them we kind of aggregate all the possible choices and help them make a plan for success, no matter what it is their aptitude. I work in content strategy. I kind of distill that message into a little bit more digestible form so that I can, you know, put it out on our website. I do a lot of content translation so that it's fully accessible for people that are Spanish speaking only. Mm -hmm. Um, I handle the social media and stuff like that. What do you take from improv classes that you apply? Um, Yes, and is a big one. Positivity is a big one. Um, so I, I teach levels one through three at the hideout. Uh, oh, that's right. You were saying that you're yeah. improv instructor. Yeah. Um, so I started taking classes there six years ago, and um, the person that actually taught my very first class ended up mentoring me when I was about four years in and suggesting, like, hey, I think you're, I think you're ready to, to start instructing. And so I started co-teaching with him, and then it was a very proud moment, you know, when I realized... 
oh my God, I never thought this was going to happen six years ago. I knew that I loved it. I knew that it was what I was supposed to be doing, but I could never have imagined that I would be teaching other people one day. But I found it to be such a joyful experience that sharing that with others is like the ultimate reward for me. Definitely. Yeah. So what we tell our students is to stick with positivity, right? Mm -hmm. Like improv and theater can be dramatic. It can be sad. Um, But especially when you're first starting out, you have to build like a platform, you know, you have to have a certain level of stability and then things can get a little interesting after that. But I consider one of my trademarks and one of my best qualities to be my sense of positivity. Yeah. I got that when we met the other night where I was like, Ooh, you are like really even keeled gal, like real sweet and (laughs) bubbly. And, um, yeah, I, I could see it right away. Thank so, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm more apt to laugh at something than become frustrated by it, I think. And that doesn't just stay in the workplace, right? It can be in every sphere of your life. Yeah. yeah. If you're at home and laughter, you know, people people can feel that. Because you can tell when someone's putting on a laugh, yeah. you know, just to like, you know, fill the space, fill the moment or lift the moment out. An easy laugh is pretty contagious and mm-hmm. it's so inspiring you know when you meet somebody like that it's like oh, shit that's what I'm supposed to <laughs> yeah. be doing that looks easier than what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> so you teach improv um what is your schedule for that and also being on stage mm-hmm. so um I can choose to teach as many classes as I want to at once um typically just to keep myself sane I don't choose to teach more than two a week It's a six-week commitment per section, so it might be um, every Monday from 7 to 10 and then every Tuesday from 7 to 10 as well, and that's in addition to my day job, which is a typical 9 to 5, and then um, I might have like a Thursday or Friday performance with my troupe once a week. Sometimes I elect to perform on Saturday nights at the hideout. Um, and then I also perform in a murder mystery dinner show that happens a couple times a month. Is this dinner detective? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> I was in the Seattle chapter. Of you this. were? <laughs> circus. It is a circus. Wow. I've been with the Austin one for almost as long as I've been doing improv and it, it's wild. How's the food? Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Can we go do this? You can. I won't. You won't. You could. Oh my gosh. Someone's got to go with me. This sounds like ridiculous it's cool. fun. You get a full meal and, you know, you get to watch somebody get murdered. <laughs> I don't want to give the show away. There's only so many timelines you can walk into. But oh, okay. Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. Yeah. It's fun. I, I, it's, well, I enjoy um, watching the guests get into it who have no idea what they're walking into Uh and then they become really invested in the mystery and solving it. And, um, I love it when people, the first thing they have to do when they get there is come up with an alias and put it on their name tag because they can't go by their real name for the rest of the night. And that stresses people out so much Mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't thought about in years, just from being a a theatrical person, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. But they they spend minutes there thinking about it. Should I be this? Should I be that? Oh, no. But then I have to know this about this line of work or that. And it's just not something that I think about anymore. So if, if if, if I can just get people to be a little more playful and to not think so hard about stuff like that, I feel like it's mission accomplished. That's mm-hmm. that's me. Mm-hmm. I am that person where I'm like, oh, God. Like, going to the Renaissance Festival, I used to be really, really into it because I would, like, wear all these costumes. And then something happened along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, someone is, like, being in character. I'm like, oh, okay, hi, person in that outfit. Like, mm-hmm. I can't dive into it and... 
be in that world. Mm-hmm. I'm not. But you can go to a play and suspend your disbelief for yes. two hours, right? That I can do. Mm-hmm. It's it's asking me to be involved in it. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, even to like walk next to it, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Like... So the other night I went to a party, and on the front door she put a note on the outside that said, "Come in and say hello in your favorite accent." Which I thought was real cool. Like, I I had never seen a sign like that before, and everyone was just having a blast doing it, right? Nice. Is that something that you would like, or would that make you a little nervous? Uh, If I can, like, take a moment to myself, and all I have to do is say hello, Mm -hmm. like, if I have to continue the farce for a long time, I get exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where's my out? I've got to have an out! But, um, yeah, if it's a moment, I'll play Mm -hmm. along. Yeah. That's okay. That's my limit. Yeah, totally okay. But I love seeing other people do that thing I can't do. Because I'm like, how do you do it? (laughs) You know? How do you get up there not knowing what you're going to say or what the scene is going to be about? Like, is it something that you just rehearse a lot to be able to be used to doing that, using that muscle? Or is it just, you know, after a while you forget about that fear? That fear is just... Mm-hmm. out the door. I think it's that um, so many times you prove to yourself that you can do it or that what comes out of your mouth is really inconsequential because of the way your partner says yes and to you or because of the way your partner takes care of you or makes the scene go further that it just ceases to seem like something stressful. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, it really is like a muscle I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you were to talk to someone who's new to improvising and you you know the issue maybe the question is well what do I do like how do I stop myself from planning the next thing I'm going to say Mm -hmm. how do you tell them that how do you get them there there are certain exercises that are targeted toward that so for example there's one that I do with my students where they're having a conversation with each other but the first um, word of my sentence needs to start with the last letter of your sentence. Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask you, what did you have for lunch today? My sentence ended in Y. So you need to answer me with a sentence that begins with the letter Y. But not the thing that I ate. It's just the sentence has to start with or to it's what? Okay. To, what? to what? To what I just asked. Yams. Yeah. Yams. Get Perfect. it. <laughs> Perfect. Right? And then Feeling I would say, very supportive. so delicious. That sounds amazing. Did your mom make those for you? Yes, she did. Um, no. You, damn it, I can't spell. Uh, understandably, yes, she did. <laughs> Perfect. So um, the deal with that is that you have to listen fully to what your partner just said and from spell. beginning to end before you can answer them. So oh. that completely removes your ability to plan ahead. So good. Right? Weird. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you said that to me, I thought, oh, Angelica's going to freak out. That's like one extra layer. <laughs> Of work to do, but it really does. It removes mm-hmm. that, that little sting of uh-huh. pressure. Yeah. So and it's good. a very human instinct to try to pre-plan. Everyone does that uh-huh. every day because we've learned that supposedly it makes us more efficient or it makes us seem more intelligent. Um, but in the sense of becoming more playful, I think it helps to peel those layers back a little bit and chill mm-hmm. on it, you know? Just mm-hmm. chill on that. There's a time and place for it, but... Yeah. But just play with me kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like that's something I would love to take the callous layers off. With, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I can see how it'd be really good for adults to be more playful adults, but also being a parent, mm-hmm. you know, if my kid is asking me to play, like last night we went around the table and we 
rhymed. So my older daughter, Eloise, is writing poetry right now, and I'm super into it because she was mad at me, and um, she was like, I'm going to go write a poem about it. How do you spell weird? And so I like spelled, like, I knew the poem was about me <laughs> doing something. W-O-N-D-E-R-S-E-L. <laughs> And so after she calmed down and we, you know, congratulated her for like using a creative way to work through her feelings, we went around the table and rhymed. Mm -hmm. There's another exercise where two people might be having a conversation and me as the director or the facilitator um, will look at one of them and say new choice, which means the last thing that they said, they need to say something else in that same category or say it in a different way. So you two ladies turn toward each other and greet each other. Hello. Hey. Um, new choice, Amber. Hey. New choice, Amber. Hey. This was just a simple greeting, right? But if you guys were actually having a conversation and talking about anything, like how you were feeling that day or what you had for breakfast, me saying new choice over and over again forces you to be in the moment and spurt out the first thing that comes to your mind, right? So the more comfortable you can get with having that, that completely takes away your inability to pre-plan as well, right? Because mm -hmm. you never know when I'm going to say that. If you're dipping deeper into the same sort of similar answer, then I'll keep new choicing you until you diverge a little bit and get a little more creative and wider with your thinking. So this is the difference between convergent thinking and divergent thinking. Mm -hmm. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm learning something. <laughs> Are you collaborative in nature? Um. Yes, I am. I like to have varying viewpoints you know I like to see what other people are thinking about things if they're observing them and interpreting them the way that I am I do think that I'm a little more of an introvert than I am an extrovert I need a lot of alone time and I need a lot of recharging time there will be things like this sitting down with a podcast where I'm like yeah this is fun I'm like getting something from being around you two ladies mm -hmm. and then I'll need to be by myself mm-hmm I get overstimulated. Mm -hmm. I'm a highly sensitive person. An HSP, as my therapist calls it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's another recurring mm -hmm. <laughs> theme on this podcast. Is what our therapist said. Oh my gosh, I was just having this conversation with my friend the other day. <laughs> <laughs> when I find out that someone else is going to therapy, immediately I just feel kinship with them. Like, we're clearly on the same self-improvement track. Yep. We um, are observant of what's going on in here. And it just makes me feel like this person knows what's up. You know, yeah. this person wants to talk. This yeah. person's got some good ideas. Mm -hmm. I want to milk this person for the thing they learned this mm -hmm. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Some resolution. They're looking for a resolution and a way to reapply themselves to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how do you feel after a show? Well, um, it can go a couple different ways. If I'm... Feeling super playful and I was really amped by the show, which I usually am. Um, sometimes I'll have to go out and have a cocktail with my friends, you know, my troop mates. We perform together once a month and we'll want to chit chat and chatter about our favorite moments in the show. And it's kind of like you're really high strung and you need to come down from that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, our shows often end around um, 10 o'clock on Fridays after I've worked a full day sometimes. Or I'll perform in a 10 o'clock show that ends at midnight on a Saturday. And it sounds so late. It is very late. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't even have crazy obligations. Like, I have no children to wake up with. I have a cat that gets hungry in the morning, but that's small potatoes, you know? 
Um, so my favorite thing to do, honestly, on those late nights is to go home and eat a snack in bed and watch my favorite novella. I'm really into Spanish telenovelas. Oh, (laughs) those are so good. They really are. Any, uh, any favorites? Oh my God. Um, Netflix has upped the game as far as the novellas that they're streaming now. I'm sorry if this sounds biased, but like this knocks Days of Our Lives or General Hospital or As the World Turns out of the water. The level of drama and complexity, the costume design, the fact that they take place in different historical periods that are accurate, it is amazing. There's one called Velvet that um, takes place in Madrid in the 1950s. And they just did a reboot of what happens after the – it's about like a fashion house that gets sold – And it's kind of like Downton Abbey because it shows you the stories of the wealthy people that own the store and then the workers that live in the bottom, the seamstresses that that sew everything. Um, And then they did a reboot of what happens in the 70s. So you see all the changing fashion styles and stuff. It's (gasps) so great. And then there's another one called um, El Gran Hotel, which is about um, a hotel also in Spain. These usually originate in Spain. Like I'm seeing a pattern here. Um, and a lot of the same, like, big box actors that are really good and really handsome and beautiful, like, star in multiple of them. But this one takes place, like, in the 1800s. And, again, the costuming, it's just so glitzy and glamorous and well done. And cliffhanging. You literally never know what's going to happen next. Oh, nice. Do you I, feel like you can take anything from their acting or the storylines? Do you absorb that for your improv in some way? I think that I absorb everything from around me all the time. There was a run of shows at the hideout uh, that was called Escándalo, and it was based on the typical telenovela, but it was a student show, so I wasn't eligible to participate in that show. But if it had been a main stage show for general casting, I would have been all over it. Like, I love that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. How important was it that La Vida de los Muertos um, was a Latinx show? that you got to explore that part of your heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was super important in that it's really only the second show that's been Latinx focused at the hideout in recent times, probably within the last year. Um, The Escandalo show that I I mentioned also had a a predominantly Latinx cast, but um, the theater had never seen a show that so fully dived into... Mexican culture um, and kind of religious culture as well relating to the ritual of Dia de Muertos. It also created a really um, warm, just the warmest cast that I've ever worked with. And I've done a few different main stages at the hideout. I felt like there was a very innate understanding of kind of how we were all raised and what the meaning of family was to us that it gave us a leg up on the bonding and the chemistry I felt. Sure. And um, this is kind of like a direction that the hideout is going in because, you know, we've had town hall meetings over the last couple of years about how we can better serve our community. And I think that the shows that we produce need to look like reality, right? Like they need to represent the world around us. If someone comes into our theater and is sitting at the in the audience and sees nobody on stage that they could possibly identify with, that's like such a, a lost opportunity to make a meaningful impact on someone, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, the theater is moving that direction. We have started piloting improv classes in Spanish, which I teach as well. 
Um, oh. And we're the only improv theater in Austin to do that. Wow. Yeah. That's um, really awesome. Yeah. And um, I, for the last four years, have been on the production staff of the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival. When we're programming the show and we're plugging in the, the spots, you know, and we're casting people and going through our submissions, it needs to be diverse in many different ways. All the ways that I just mentioned as far as how people identify with their sexuality and what their ethnicity is and their age breakdown. And we're just really trying to make it reflect the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How often are you in a show versus doing something with your troupe? So I perform with my troupe at least once a month. We have a recurring time slot at the hideout. It's the fourth Friday of every month. And our show is called Don't Interrupt Me. And it celebrates female identifying and non-binary persons. It's kind of like a girl power celebration. We're an all-female troupe, and we invite another female-identifying troupe to guest with us. Um, so that's one thing. And then if I decide to go out for a main stage and I get cast in one, that's a four- to five-month commitment. And it's rehearsals twice a week for two months, and then it's shows every single Saturday for two months, you know? So I really try to, I'm trying this year to do less things better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I say this year, we're already in November. So that's going to carry into 2019 also, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. God. That's so good. I wish that we could run a campaign about doing less better. <laughs> we know a lot of people who I would love to give that advice yeah. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What inspires you? Um, I am inspired by... Um, people and the way they speak and the way they think. I love character work. Um, That's what my improv is really heavy in. Everyone kind of has their own different style, right? But I love doing characters in different dialects. And um, I find it fascinating to just listen to podcasts with people from all over the country and kind of analyze the shapes that people's mouths and faces make when they're talking. Mm. I love watching old black and white films. I love physical comedy. Um, Laurel and Hardy are some of my favorite classic comedians. I used to watch their videos with my dad when I was growing up and uh, I still watch them now if I'm having a bad day. What are your other creative endeavors besides Mm -hmm. acting and improv? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, I used to tap dance as a young, uh, lady. Really? And I started tap dancing again about five years ago. So when I, when I got, when I started doing improv about six years ago, it just awakened everything else in me that had been dormant for a long time. And it, it made me really hungry to, I just wanted to feel and create and do and, and kind of hearken back to all these things that had given me joy as a young person. So um, I started taking tap at the same school that I had taken it at as a child. Oh, it's so called Shirley McPhail's School of Dance, and it is still around. Nice. <laughs> oh, my god! And Miss Edwina is still there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all the ladies in my class are a good, like, 30, maybe 40 years older than I am. It's a, it's kind of a dying, like, dance form. Yes, it is. Um, but we are a hoot together. Like, I, we have recitals. We rehearse all year long. We have costumes. Um, we did a rendition of Singing in the Rain with our raincoats and our oh. yellow umbrellas that had rhinestones hot glued to them so they would glisten like raindrops. Oh, this is so good. This is so, so I good. I would see this any day of the week yeah. over community theater or over, over a, a straight play at any like Yeah. I would be really theater. into this. Yeah. 
I did tap growing up mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think I did it until like eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have like a couple of moves yeah. that I bust out at a party. You don't forget them. No, mm-hmm. there is some muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. So what about modeling? Um, modeling was something I did a little bit of oh. in high school um, when I was first kind of getting into acting. Um, we had a kind of a talent agency come through town and you hear an advertisement on the radio for an agency, you know, that's seeking uh, kids like, do you want to be on Nickelodeon? Um, Do you want to be on the Disney Channel? I talked to my mom about it and we decided to do it. And by that time I was probably like 15. So we hired a photographer and I had my first um, set of headshots taken and basically it was like a training program and then they sent us to this uh competition where we were doing um like a runway competition and then a print competition for a panel of talent agents and these things aren't they're not a complete waste of time and money sometimes people do get discovered there but it's what show business is it's very few and far between and a lot of things have to line up for that to work right i think all in all it was a good experience um but had a had I had I to do it over again with my child, maybe, um, I don't think I would have done something like that. I think I probably would have had them study with um, an acting coach and then had them represented by an agent here in Austin. And then, and then if they were really serious, maybe we would move to L.A., you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of cool. So I, run, I won second place in, in this national runway modeling competition at this um, sort of convention that we went to, which was kind of cool. Um, and then I did a couple of, um, Dennis Quaid used to have like a charity golf tournament and fashion show here a long time ago. It was like an annual thing. And I used to walk stuff like that. Um, Austin fashion week. Um, I modeled for a Lebanese, um, couture designer called Jalpar Haute Couture and they made beautiful, um, satin gowns that were totally bejeweled and looked like mermaids. Do they have any tall models in Lebanon? Um, that I don't know, but I do know that I look very, um, Lebanese or Indian. Yeah, you could pass for sure. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm half Italian and half Mexican, but, um, I look a lot like a, um, an Indian celebrity named Katrina Kev. Uh, and so it was, it was a good fit. <laughs> so were the yeah. clothes long enough for you? They were. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a fitting of That's course prior to the yeah. show to make sure, but sure. yeah. Yeah. I always felt, um, that acting was a lot more in line with what excited me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, as a woman, you know, I've dealt with eating disorder issues and I don't think it was helped at all by my exposure to that industry at a young age at this competition. I was telling you, you know, they measured us backstage mm. with measuring tape around our hips and told us that we had to lose weight before it was competition time. And oh. that if we didn't measure up, they would pull us off the stage Stop. right before we went on. <gasps> yeah. Ugh. So, yeah. I have issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. I got made fun of for having a thigh gap in wow. a tap dancing class. Oh At the time, gosh. that was what? not... A... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why don't you pay attention oh. to your own self while I do my little shuffle here? Wow. Um, yeah. People oh. just find whatever they want to oh, make someone feel bad or you could take the opposite approach which is compliment the person and make them feel yeah. really good and comfortable and you know like the, they can do this anything. is a good answer to my question so i tutor this girl mm-hmm. on thursdays and uh, she's in fourth grade 
and we always have a writing prompt when we, when we sit down to um, to chat for the week. And the question was, how would you let a bully know that there is another choice? Something like that. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I ended up having no answer for her. And because I was, you know, mostly trying to get her to arrive at one on her own. Mm -hmm. She's ESL, so like I'm, I'm really working on like, you know, pulling out, you know, free, you know, familiar um, concepts to her. And I couldn't even arrive at anything. And and yeah, like I, I give them a compliment, disarm them with, yeah. with something that they're not expecting. I feel like being that child as a victim to being bullied and being an adult, it's like two separate selves. Hmm. I can't connect mentally as an adult where it's like, oh, you would just very, you would just say this thing to them and it would make them stop. Like it had to be a complete change and evolution in my thought process. I had to grow up mm -hmm. and not hang out with people like that. I have dreams mm -hmm. about being in like middle school and elementary school and, you know, getting bullied and I don't have a good thing to say to that bully. Mm -hmm. It's just tap well, dancing. now we know it's tap dancing and compliments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drop it as hard as you can. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do you have a goal of acting full time, or do you like this work life balance? Um, I don't have any aspirations of being famous. I don't want to move to LA. Um, there was a time that I thought maybe I did, but I'm reaching a point in my professional career that I've really feel like what I'm doing is important mm -hmm. and it's gratifying. Um, and there's a sense of accomplishment. Uh, I felt a little lost for a number of years and I think it was because I was trying to do too many things at once. Um, I get an immense amount of satisfaction, um, knowing that I'm helping students in our state prepare themselves for a fruitful life Yeah, and that I'm helping other adults discover their most joyful, pure selves from when they were children. Um, and the performance opportunities that I get are enough for me. Yeah. You know, I feel like I have a very full, happy life. I love it. Nice. Yeah. Is there anything creative that you're hoping to try soon? Do you have something on your radar? Like you've got tap dancing that you've added to the repertoire is there anything else yeah, um my one of my deepest darkest fears is stand-up comedy oh never done stand-up before mm -hmm. improv can be a lot of things it can be funny or poignant dramatic sad but stand-up is a lot of pressure because it it purports to be funny right you know and it can rarely be anything else than that and be well received right so i think that that really amps up the pressure uh, so I don't know. I kind of feel like that's the final frontier for me. I haven't, I haven't got there yet, but I might. You have a, <laughs> you have a list of jokes going? You, you like, yeah, you're way behind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to prepare. I can't keep two jokes in my head at once. So, <laughs> yeah, that'd be a pretty hard job. I, I can really relate to the, the pressure of saying like, Oh, is this a comedy podcast? Like, I don't want to label that because, like, if we're yeah. not, let's just call it explicit. We're gonna use the f word at least one time. <laughs> um, we can commit to that. Yeah, <laughs> but like laughing is just such a natural part of having conversations. I think mm -hmm. that it's easier to say like, oh, well, it's just talking, as opposed to we're gonna make you laugh. It's not comedic. It's chatty. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. 
Um, um, oh, one thing I wanted to add to that. Yeah. I do feel that I would love to tell more personal stories. Um, a friend of mine invited me to tell a story at an event that she has at uh, the Historic Scoot Inn sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's a different theme every month. Um, and when the month that she invited me, the theme was what my mama gave me. And so people were telling stories about their experiences with their mother or maybe without a mother or what their, what that meant to them. It's very subjective. Um, and I found it so hard. It was infinitely more difficult for me to tell a true story about myself than it is to monologize in character for five or 10 minutes. Oh, so interesting. I have the complete opposite. Really? Mm-hmm. I can get on stage and tell some like really personal story that might be like traumatic or embarrassing or whatever. Like I feel fine revealing things, you know, on this podcast, mm-hmm. but um, being on stage and like trying to stay in character and like trying to find the connective tissue from the character from start to finish feels like more pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't do it too often. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're making it all up, so how could it be wrong, right? Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, do you have any shameless plugs for upcoming shows? Um, I did want to mention once more the monthly show that my troupe has. My troupe is called Physics Curse, and we are four ladies. We've been together for nearly five years now, I think. Um, and basically what it is, it's just a celebration of, uh, girl power. We invite female identifying and non-binary troops to join us. So, um, physics cursed hosts, you know, our guest troop in, they do about a 15, 20 minute set for you guys. And then we come in and we ask the audience to think of a word that makes them feel powerful. Right. Um, and that word becomes our mantra for the rest of the night. So that's what we use to kind of host in any other troops or like the transitions between the acts. So last Friday we had a show and the word was Oprah. So <laughs> <laughs> during the show it was Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. Oh, yeah. And um, it was funny because first I thought the person said hope. I guess Hope and Oprah sounded kind of a lot alike. And my troop mate said, I thought she said okra. And then like, <laughs> once we got it cleared up, it was the perfect mantra, oh, right? Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So then my troop comes on stage and we do our, our thing. And then we ask the audience to tell us a story about a time that they felt really powerful or like they were standing up for themselves or that they righted um, some wrong or something that didn't quite feel right. And so we'll have a short story from an audience member and we'll use that story to inform the final act of the show, which is a mashup between the two troops. So we all play together, which is cool because, you know, I've been playing with the same ladies for a number of years and it's always nice to invite new people into our circle and see how we play with each other because you're always learning things from every new person that you play with. Totally. Yeah. The show is the fourth Friday of every month. The next show is Friday, November 30th at 730 at the Hideout Theater. And you can find tickets at hideouttheater.com. And we'll have that on the blog post about this episode so people can go from there. Awesome. Thank you. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? I think it would be The Peace in Your Mind Keeper. Whoa. (laughs) Peace, like world peace or like... Yeah. All right, all right. Excellent. The peace in your mind keeper. Yeah, it just blew my mind. I like it. And when I say your mind, 
I mean my mind, uh-huh. like I'm the keeper of my own peace, uh-huh. right? But that's a mantra that I repeat to myself often is peace in your mind. Uh-huh. Peace in your mind. At the very least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I think we've had a very inspirational talk today. I think yes. we are going to truly help out somebody who didn't get a chance to go to therapy this week. <laughs> Lord willing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rose. Thank you, Angelica and Amber. It's thank been you. a pleasure. Oh, you guys are a lot of fun. Yay, thanks. And thanks to our listeners. And we hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. Find a full list of classes and performances at hideouttheater.com and go see Rose with Physics Curse in Don't Interrupt Me, the fourth Friday of every month. This episode was bookended by Berm and Swale, produced by me, Amber Moreno, and co-hosted with Angelica Norton right here at Open Envelope Studio. Thanks for listening. Stop over at chattycrafties.com for more, then go make some art but don't think too hard about it.